Welcome to Peace by Believing with John Redmond, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. For Christians, the word tomorrow brings thoughts of new beginnings, hope, and optimism. But at the same time, the day can be at times problematic. Today, John brings a message from God's Word entitled, The Problem with Tomorrow. If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, I wish you'd open it, please, to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 27, beginning in verse number 1. Notice what it says, Do not boast about tomorrow. Now, why not, Solomon? Why can't we boast and brag about all of our plans for tomorrow? Here's why. For you do not know what a day may bring forth. Now, this is one of the verses in the Bible that tells us how we should think about tomorrow and all the tomorrows in our life. And it's interesting. It's important how we view tomorrow because the older we get and the longer we live, the fewer tomorrows we have left. And so we're wise to learn how to view tomorrow. Now, the first thing I want to say, it's right out of the Scripture, is as we think about tomorrow, and not just tomorrow, but the day after tomorrow, and the month after tomorrow, and all these things that we have planned for the future, don't boast about tomorrow. Remember this, tomorrow is not promised. God has not promised to give us tomorrow. Why not? Because God knows that life is fragile and can end at any moment. And not only that, life is fading and it is passing away. Let's look at some verses elsewhere in the Scriptures that talk about tomorrow. Notice what James says about the subject. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. James saying the same thing Solomon is saying. You don't know about tomorrow. When you look to tomorrow, you ought to say, well, these are my plans. Here's what I'd like to do. But it's all dependent upon God's will because life is fragile like a vapor, like your breath on a cold day. You go outside, you talk, you, you breathe, and you can see your breath. But in just a second or two, that breath is gone. And the Scripture says that's what life is like. It's here today, and it's gone tomorrow. Here's another verse that says it. David said this in 1 Samuel. There is but a step between me and death. David understood that his life was very fragile, and there was just one step between him and death. You know, sometimes I think of that verse, if I'm in a red light and I'm the first car at the red light, and maybe I'm out here on Fairmont, And I'm the first car at the red light on the beltway. And all the cars are coming down that beltway feeder. And here I'm, and I think, there's but a step between me and that. There's there's maybe 10 steps or 15 steps. But sometimes we need to be reminded, here here I am in my car. The cars are passing by. I'm perfectly safe. But if I took my foot off the brake and hit the accelerator 10 foot out, my life would end right there. There's but a step. We're closer to death is what I'm saying than we think we are. Look at Psalm 39. This is a tremendous verse. The psalmist said, Lord, make me to know my end. And what is the measure of my days, that I may know how frail I am? What was the psalmist saying? He said, God, as I live my life, help me to remember that my life has an end date. 
I won't live forever. There was life on earth before I entered the scene, and there will be life on earth after I'm gone. Help me to remember the end of my life, my end date, and how frail I am. And then another psalm says it this way, my days are like the evening shadow. I wither away like grass. And so tomorrow is not promised to us. We shouldn't brag and plan about all the things that we have planned for tomorrow. Now, let me, you don't have to turn back, but let me read you some verses out of Proverbs chapter 6, because just because we shouldn't boast about tomorrow, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't plan for tomorrow. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 6, go to the ant. In other words, the Bible here is giving us an object lesson about the importance of planning. Go to the ant, you sluggard, consider her ways and be wise, which having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food. Food in the harvest. And so even ants in the summertime go out. I'm not even sure what all ants eat, what it is they're gathering, but they get the food that their little ant family will need during the winter, and they bring that food back into the, into the little houses where the, where the ants will be. They plan for the future. And so God would say to us, as you think about the future, you should plan. You shouldn't be reckless or careless or irresponsible, but even in your planning, The Scripture says, you plan with God. You know, I think many times, even those of us who are saved, we don't necessarily plan with God. We just plan, and we hope that God will bless it. Sometimes you'll hear somebody say, well, I'm working here now, but my plans are to retire and move to the hill country, or my plans are to retire and move to the, live on the beach. Or take somebody like me. I grew up in the, not on the beach or in the hill country, but I grew up in the mountains, the Smoky Mountains of East Tennessee. What if I just said, you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to buy a cabin in the mountains, and maybe three or four times a year I could go to the cabin and have a few days there to just be away and rest. Nothing wrong with that. And then one day when I retire, I can just move to my cabin there in the mountains, and there I live. Now, you say, well, what's wrong with that? Well, what's wrong with that is in the planning of that, Unless I consult God, I'm planning without God. I think a lot of people just say, well, you know what? There's nothing sinful about having a cabin in the mountains, and if you've got enough money to buy the cabin in the mountains, buy the cabin in the mountains and go and rest and one day retire and move there. But what we would have to say is, or what I would say in that scenario is, God, I'd like to buy a cabin in the mountains. But what do you think about that? Is that that a good idea for me, or is that a bad idea for me, or what should I do? Or, God, should I, do you want me to retire one day and live in the mountains? We have to plan with God. But even in that scenario, if God should say, yes, John, that would be fine, go buy a cabin in the mountains. As I buy that cabin and as I make my plans, I should do that with humility. And that's what James was saying. We ought to say, if the Lord wills. And so I should say, I bought this cabin, and if if it's God's will, two or three times a year, I'm going to go and rest there and and, and have my vacation there. And one day, if it's God's will, I'm going to retire, and I'm going to just live in that cabin in the mountains. We should plan with, with God in mind, and we should plan with humility and say, you know, it's really all dependent on God. First of all, I don't know that I ever will retire. Second of all, I don't know if I'll live long enough to retire. Third of all, I don't know when it gets time that age if I'll be... There's so many variables that we just have to say, you know what, here's the cabin. God, let me have it. But uh, we'll have to just wait and see if it's His will for me. But I'm just saying we shouldn't boast about that. And I think many times, even Christians, 
are guilty of making our plans. We really don't even consult God in the making of the plans. And even if we do, many times we don't plan with humility. We just say, this is what I have planned. And we don't put that little caveat in there. If, as long as it's God's will, as long as the Lord allows, then I'll do that. And so the Scripture says to us, don't boast about tomorrow. Now, go to the New Testament in Luke chapter 12. Jesus had something very interesting to say about planning like this without God in mind and making your plans with no real humility. And in Luke chapter 12, in verse 15, Jesus laid down a divine truth here. And he said to the people this, take heed... And beware of covetousness. What is covetousness? It's wanting something that somebody else has. It's desiring somebody else's place in life. You want what they have, their money, their job, their whatever. You want that. He said you better beware of that for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. In other words, life is not all about what you have and how much you have. That's what Jesus is saying. And then in verse 16, he begins to tell a story. He made this story up. It's a parable to illustrate the point. And he said this, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build up greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. In other words, this man had so much money and so many possessions that he said to himself, look at all this. I've got so much, I had to build bigger barns, bigger bigger storage sheds. And with all this, I'll never have to work again. I'll never have to worry about money again. I can live for years with all I've got. And he says to his soul, take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Well, we might say in response to that, well, good for you. Congratulations. I wish I had as much as you have, but that's not what God said in verse 20. God said to him, fool. Now, remember, we're not allowed to call each other a fool. I can't call you a fool, and you can't call me a fool. But God can call anybody a fool he wants to. In Psalm 14 and in Psalm 53, those psalms start out by saying, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And God here calls this man a fool. He says, you're a fool. You've got all this stuff, all this money, all these possessions. You're set for life. But what you don't understand is this is the last day of your life. Look at it. This night, your soul shall be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. God said to this man, you're a fool because you're a fool, first of all, because you're presumptuous. You think in your mind that you've got many years to enjoy all these possessions and to buy all these things. You think you've got many tomorrows out there, but the fact is you have no tomorrows remaining. This is your last day. You're a fool because you're presumptuous. And then God says, you're a fool because you're prideful. You're talking about all this stuff you have and all this money you have. And God, in essence, was saying to this man, you are materially rich but you are spiritually bankrupt. And tonight, you've got to stand before God. And when you stand before God, you're unprepared. You're unready because you've left the money that you've had. You've not received God's forgiveness. You're not prepared to meet God. 
And all this stuff that you have is going to be left to somebody else, and your kids and grandkids can all fight over it. But you're a fool because you've banked on that as being your security. You know, as I was thinking about things in our day, it's not what we would put in barns. Down here in the Houston area, most of us don't have barns. But we have Bob's storage shed right down here on Fairmont. We have bank accounts. We have personal investment accounts. We have retirement accounts. We have stock portfolios. I mean, we have things that we put away and we say, okay, now with that, I'm set for life. And yet God says, you're a fool because you don't know how long your life will be. And if you're trusting in those things instead of trusting in me, you're a fool. In my notes, I wrote it this way. Listen to this. Don't find your security, your excitement, and your purpose in life in the things you have Find your security, your excitement, and your purpose in life in the person of Jesus Christ. And had that man done that, had that man had a real relationship with God, God wasn't opposed to him having all the things. There's nothing, there's nothing sinful about being rich, and there's nothing godly about being poor. It's, it's neutral. It, it, that doesn't matter. The point is, unless we're right with God, it doesn't matter if we're rich or poor or bankrupt. We don't have our faith and our focus in the right thing. And so the message from Proverbs, don't boast about tomorrow. But the Bible has something else to say about tomorrow. In fact, Jesus had more to say about it than just this. And that is this, don't worry about tomorrow. Many of us may not be guilty of boasting about all the things we have planned for tomorrow. But we might be guilty of worrying about tomorrow. Why do we worry so much about tomorrow? Because it's unknown. What will happen to me tomorrow? What, what if I, here, here's, what, here's what the devil does. He will put in our thoughts a what-if question. And that what-if question troubles us, worries us, torments us, and makes us anxious. What if my spouse dies? What if I lose my health? What if I lose my job? What if I lose my house? What if I'm alone? All these what ifs. And Jesus said, when you look out to the tomorrows of your life, don't do it that way. Don't worry about tomorrow. Look at what he said in the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Those five words, let's say those together. Do not worry about tomorrow. Why not, Jesus? He said, for tomorrow will worry about its own things, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. God says you're foolish to sit around and think about all the horrible things that might happen tomorrow. Many people have been married 30 and 40 and 50 years, and they can't even fully enjoy the gift of their marriage for the fear that their spouse might die. What would happen then? And so they're losing the joy of today, worrying about what might happen tomorrow. And so Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. And yet, many of us do. We do worry. Somebody has said that worrying is like sitting in a rocking chair. It gives us something to do, but it doesn't take us anywhere. And I think there's some truth to that. And some of us are bigger worriers than others, and I'm one of those. I've told you before how when I was young, I worried about everything as a child. Especially, I worried about the weather. And I know I've told you before I was at school when I was in fourth grade, Miss Amos's class, and a big storm blew into town that day. And I looked out the window, and I was so scared, and I was so afraid, and I just wanted to go home and be with my mama. That's what I wanted to do that day. And I knew the school wouldn't let me go home just because 
it was a storm. And so I, had to, I was thinking, what can I do to get out of here and go home? I went in the bathroom. I saw a trash can. I started beating my arm on the trash can. It got very red. I went to the nurse's office and talked to the principal. I said, I have fallen. You can see it here. I've broken my arm. I've got to go home. I know it's very disappointing. Y'all will probably never be back to hear another sermon around here. They said, well, we'll call your dad. They called my dad. My dad came, picked me up. He's driving me to Dr. Shea's office there in Lenore City, Tennessee. We're driving down the road to the office. He said, now, John, tell me again, how did you fall and what did, what did you do exactly? I said, well, to tell you the truth, I, I didn't fall. I beat my arm against a trash can. I, I was scared and I wanted to go home. He, Listen, you think that first storm was something to be scared of? <laughs> I was in Hurricane Charles right now. He said, you did what? You, you lied? That was the first thing I was in trouble. You lied. Number two, you've embarrassed the family name. I mean, you, you, you've done this. But that was me. I was worry, worry. And then when I got a little bit older than that, I quit worrying about the weather. But I found other things to worry about. Then when I got a little bit older, I started worrying about whether or not I was truly saved. And I worried about that for a long time. And I got that settled in 2004. And I'm going to be honest with you. From 2004... Till 2014, this is honest truth, I really didn't worry about anything. Maybe a little worries in five and six, but for like from 2006 to 2014, I didn't worry about anything. And I had some pretty big stuff going on in my life at that time. I had vocal cord surgery, I had other things going on, but I, was, I, I never became anxious, I never worried, I just was at total peace. And this, I'm, just, I'm telling you this today to tell you how worry works and what the devil does to us. In 2014, I began to have a muscle spasm in my right eye. And that muscle spasm prevented me from focusing on anything. I couldn't see clearly. And it scared me. And, and so I started worrying, what is wrong with my eye? And I'm having all these tests run. And finally, they determined it's a muscle spasm. It will go away in time. And thankfully, it did. But that kind of woke up the worrying that had been sound asleep in my life for eight to ten years. I struggled with that worrying about that eye for about eight or nine months, and then finally I got, I got over that, and I, quit, I didn't worry about that. A few months later, I was diagnosed with kidney cancer, never worried about it. I was concerned, but I was not anxious. I was very peaceful. I trusted God. Thankfully, he got that taken care of. I had another surgery not long after that. I, I was peaceful. A few months later, I ended up in the emergency room. My heart, I had heart palpitations because of a medication I was taking, that worried me, that did concern me a little bit, but I didn't like become overly anxious with that, but I was concerned. And then about six months later, I'm just telling you my story. In June of 2016, I overextended myself in my work. I was doing more than I should have done, and I, I began to feel overwhelmed with life and with my responsibilities, and I had never felt that before. And so, and I battled that 16, 17, 18, and then in 2018 somewhere, that began to lighten up, and I began to get more relaxed, and I began to get back to myself. For the last six years of my life, the main thing I've been trying to do is to get back to that same non-worried, relaxed mental attitude that I had before I started having some of those health issues and other responsibilities. And so I'm just saying, you know, when the devil... But think about this. You believe in the devil, right? The Bible says that the devil is a thief. And so see, for me, back here years ago, I, I just trusted Jesus 
for my salvation, and with that, I didn't worry about anything, and I went almost a decade of my life with no worries. It was the greatest decade of my life, and yet the devil looks back and says, you know what, John doesn't worry anymore. He's relaxed. He's, and so all these things now begin to come into my life, and the devil used those things to get me to worrying again. And so I'm not back 100%. I'm maybe 90% of where I was before. I know you think, well, you're our min- one of our ministers. You should be 100%. You should never worry. But it's not where I am. I'm about 90 to 95% back to where I was before all that happened. And so I'm just saying, when we worry, it's just it's a bad thing. I was looking last night in Psalm 37, tremendous psalm. Three times the psalmist said, do not fret, do not fret, do not fret. And on that third time, he says, do not fret, it only causes harm. And so we have to remember, you know, I want to get to a place in my life where every time something comes into my mind that I'm tempted to worry about, that I just, like Barney Fife said, I nip it in the bud right there. I just say, no, I'm going to nip that in the bud. And instead of worrying about that, I'm going to say, God, I choose to trust you with that. If we could learn to trust God with what we would naturally worry about, I think that would be the way that God would have us to live. You know, somebody has said there are two categories of people. There are worriers, and there are those who don't know enough to be worried. They just don't know. They don't, they're not smart enough to worry. They don't. They just, they don't. But I think there's a third category, and that is those who know enough to be worried but have decided to trust God instead, and with that trust comes peace. And I'm just telling you that today about my own self to say this is something that the devil can really trip us up with. So as you think about tomorrow, don't worry about tomorrow. The old song says, many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand, but I know who holds tomorrow. And I know who holds my hand. So don't worry about tomorrow. Number three, and the last thing I would say today, don't put off until tomorrow what you ought to do today. I think this is something that we do struggle with. Maybe even take that point I just made about making a commitment to God. God, instead of worrying, I'm going to trust you. You sit there today, you listen to that, you hear that, you say, well, he's right, I shouldn't worry. I should just trust God. He's right, 100%, he's on the money. Yeah, but... If you don't take that to God in the form of a prayer and a commitment and say, God, I choose today to trust you with what I would otherwise worry about, then the sermon didn't do you as much good as it would have. God's Word says to us, we should never put off until tomorrow that which we ought to do today. I wonder in our own church, and I wonder in this service today, how many people have some kind of a decision to make for God, maybe a decision to get saved to confess your sins, to receive Christ, for this to be the day that you get born again. And yet here you are in church today, and you're hearing the Bible taught, and in your heart you say, I should, I know I should do that. I knew I should do that before I came, and I'm going to do that, but I'm going to do that tomorrow. And yet we're not even promised that tomorrow will ever come. Listen, tomorrow is the devil's word. God's word is today. Today, the scripture says, if you will hear God's voice, do not harden your heart. Today is God's word. 2 Corinthians 6, today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. The devil would say, hey, all these decisions that you need to make for God, they're good decisions, but you can make them tomorrow. You know the problem with tomorrow? is that tomorrow never gets here. 
It's elusive. Nobody in the history of the world has ever woken up and said, it's tomorrow. Because it's not tomorrow. When you wake up, it's today. In fact, today is the tomorrow that many of us worried about yesterday. But when we got here, it was no longer tomorrow. It was today. How many who need to get saved, who know they need to get saved, are saying, I'm going to do that. I I don't intend to live much longer without having my sins forgiven, without having peace. I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it tomorrow. Tomorrow is the devil's word. And God says to that way of thinking, that is foolishness. That is presumption. That is craziness. That's recklessness. That's playing a game of Russian roulette with your own soul. Would you like to trust Jesus as your Savior today and not wait until tomorrow? Won't you pray with me now? Dear Jesus, I believe that you love me and that you died on the cross to pay for my sins. Right now, I ask you to come into my heart, forgive my sins, and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me, and I trust you to do it. In your name I pray, amen. Thank you for joining us today. And we look forward to you being with us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond.